Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sounds of Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Gerholt, and uh, we're a few days behind on this. I apologize. Uh, it's been a little crazy for me throughout this Stanley Cup final. Uh, last we covered was Game 3, and we'll be trying to quickly cover Games 4 through 6, although I think every time I say quickly, it ends up being an hour or more. So uh, we'll just see how fast we can do it while still getting all the shenaniganery and um, all the antics and fun stuff involved. So game four, we're going to try to buzz by because that is the oldest game, of course, uh, that I have not covered. So on that first goal by O'Reilly, which is kind of what really got the uh, the monkey off his back, and he was playing great already to begin with. Uh, the points weren't necessarily there. The goals definitely weren't there, and he has since exploded since this goal. I believe he pots two in game four. Uh, let's talk about the first goal, though. Great wraparound would have never happened without that weird, uh, I don't even know what to call it, uh, angle nub on the end of his stick, which is how he, you know, always wears his, or always uses a stick. Uh, it is a legal curve, I believe. I, don't, I mean, I guess they could try to check it for an illegal curve that no one really does that. But what I want to talk about is a blown coverage. Um, Tori Krug and Brandon Carlo are the deep pairing for this goal on the ice. Krug is watching O'Reilly, uh, but admittedly, it's not on his proper side. Carlo is defending his zone, and I get Krug is trying to uh, basically, you know, pursue the puck player. And Achari's kind of—I mean, it's not on Achari. He's not—he's not a defenseman. It's not his job to do this. But in the same time, he's kind of puck watching. Um, and you can see that he rushes over too late. Maybe if you're Chari, uh, go to the net, just try to block. He's probably trying to block a, a slot pass, um, but Krug is on the wrong side, and again, he's chasing the puck, uh, but he's on the wrong side, and that leads to the first goal. Um, let's see. I mean, you can't really, you can't really fault him too much. That's also, I mean, Rask is probably a little out of position maybe should have got over a bit faster but anyway that's uh, that's how the first goal goes in Sunquist comes back from suspension in this game and is all over the ice and all over the Bruins uh, that line does a pretty good job of shutting down the top line um, which we're going to get to a little bit later I, I don't want to touch on that in game four the Bruins had another really slow start waking up about halfway through the first but again little too little little too late uh, they end up with a 2-1 score through the first period with the Blues uh, having the two. Coyle shines again in the first period. And Potts, I believe, is... Oh, I don't know. This might have been his eighth of the series at this point. His eighth or ninth of the series. And ties it up in the first. And, of course, St. Louis gets the next one. Uh, I believe it was off a feed from Chara, too. Chara pinches down... Or not pinches. He uh, jumps up in the play. Goes down low, does a slot pass to Coyle, who fakes out Bennington. And um, the other thing that was really noteworthy for me about this game was the St. Louis forecheck, which, when it's going, I mean, the Blues, let, let's be honest here, the Blues don't, op, uh, sorry, they don't, um, they don't generate, sorry, they don't generate many goals. They generate scoring chances, but um, at least against this Bruins team, I mean, they haven't scored more than three goals, and I think they've scored three goals once. Uh, maybe twice, but most have been empty netters when it ends 4-2 for the Blues. But point being, mainly the Blues are generating uh, two goals a game, 
and that's in large part to the Bruins defense and of course to Rask but it's also just um, what seems like and it's not that the Blues are bad at scoring obviously they're this far they have a lot of players that can score but in terms of like potent offense they have a few brand name players and then not so many brand names after that whereas I think the Bruins have a bit better known goal scorers uh, and again this is not a slide on the Blues the Blues have a better defense that activate more in the play uh, I thought Petrangelo was really good in this game too even though his underlying numbers aren't so hot uh, I thought he did a really good job in this game but that forecheck when it gets going man it it just destroys the Bruins and they do such and this is the Blues they do such a good job with that forecheck man I mean I think most people really underrated uh, the Blues and I think part of that is also because uh, of recency bias where the Blues were the last team to win a series and they did so in six against San Jose, which is a banged up San Jose team, uh, but still they beat the San Jose Sharks and they did it in kind of a similar fashion to how they've won the games against the Bruins where they just stifle offense and they don't let you out of your own zone. Now it just so happens as well that this has been a problem area for the Bruins all year long, which is what we talked about a couple episodes ago and probably in the last episode too is the Bruins' failure to clear the zone. And when they do, it's usually an icing or it's via penalty. So not the best ways. And again, the Blues are doing such a good job at exploiting the few problem areas that the Bruins have had all year, which is clearing the zone and clearing the zone and clearing the zone. And also uh, being too cute with the puck. They're not shooting enough. They want to show off how good they are. It's a dumb fucking decision. It's a bad decision if you have the puck. You have it in a scoring area. Just don't overpass. It, I don't understand it. Uh, again, the Blues do such a good job because when they start to overpass like that, you have these big defenders with big sticks, and all they do is they get the stick in the way, they get a body in the way, and play's going back the other way. So full credit to the Blues on this game. They did a really good job. Uh, this game is a game where they went down to five defensemen after Chara got hit in the face, um, in the jaw specifically with a puck, ended up breaking his jaw. He comes back to the bench, even though the doctor tells him um, he can't play and he just wants to be there as a presence for his team, try to be a motivating factor. No shifts were taken, no words were spoken by Chara, but he was there fist bumping people, trying to get people amped up. Uh, but again, I think what happened is uh, the Blues, again, it's not necessarily their fault that Chara got hurt. You know, it's a freak accident. It happens. It was a deflection off of uh, either Shen or Schwartz's stick, or I'm sorry, uh, shot off of Chara's stick that hit him in the face. Really bad scene. Um, but I think when you have an odd number of defenders like that and you're having a mismatch, it's just a little too hard. Maybe you're focusing a little too much on defense. And at the same time, the Blues were rolling. So it's just really unfortunate uh, for the Bruins that Chara got hurt that early. I know there's been a lot of complaints against him, including some that have come from me. Um, I still hold to what I say, where he's not the best option if you had your pick of the litter. But in terms of who we have left that could come in to replace him on that left side... Chara's the best one for it. There's no one that can do what he does. There's no big bodies that have, you know, nearly as much experience or really any experience at all with the NHL on that left side that's left in reserves. 
So it was kind of one of those things where you bitch about it and you bitch about him not being the same. Even though, you know, I have my qualms with Chara, but overall, I think he's still a really good defender. You know, probably fourth best defenseman on the team, third best defenseman on the team at this point. But on that penalty kill, man, I mean, all he has to do is kind of just sit in that same 10 feet and he's still such an elite penalty killer. Uh, maybe he's not the best at chipping it out, which is my main qualm with him, is just getting the fucking puck out of the zone. That's my only qualm with him. That And, you know, his his foot speed's not the same. And it wasn't really, you know, he was never a speedy guy. He's learned to adjust, but he still does get burned, you know, every once in a while by, by speedy wingers or, you know, he can only put that stick out so far. But other than that, I mean, he's been a really good... Um, you know, pillar for this team, especially with his defensive awareness and his experience. And look, there were bad penalties in this game. There were bad penalties in every single game, and that's from the Blues and the Bruins. And I know that if you're a Blues fan, you've heard me bitch about this, mainly from the, you know, the Blues side in terms of, um, well, I guess the opposite of what I'm trying to say. Uh, You've heard me bitch about the Blues having, you know, a lot of dirty plays. And look, there are dirty plays on every side. I still think that the Blues are kind of, you know, at least through games, uh, well, I can't even say that. I mean, games one through three for me were the worst. It seemed like there were a lot of really high hits that were, you know, didn't need to be made, uh, hits to the numbers. And, you know, there's a there's a few, too, that are coming from the Bruins. I'm not going to dispute that. And there's been embellishment on both sides at this point. They had a really bad Tarasenko embellishment in, uh, was it game six, I think? You had a similar, or no, in game five, uh, you had a similar embellishment from Krug in game six after he got hit and kind of just flung himself to the boards. You had a Marchand low bridge in one of the early games. So, you know, it's on both sides. I wish it would both just stop. I will say there's been a lot of really high hits and late hits by the Blues that were completely unnecessary. And I get Blues fans defending their team, defending their players, just like I get Bruins fans doing the same. Again, I try to be, you know, civil about this. I try to have an open mind if someone tells me that I'm looking at it through, you know, these logo glasses. And, you know, I do sometimes. I I can't, you know, refute that. But I'm all about if you show me the evidence or, you know, you tell me that something's wrong, I'm going to go back and look at it. And if I see it differently, fine. If you point out something I didn't notice before, fine. I'm totally okay with being wrong. Um... But, I mean, the Blues have had two suspensions in the Stanley Cup final. And after Barube complained about the officiating, man, I mean, holy shit. There were so many blatant missed calls on the Blues. I mean, there was a blatant holding on Krug, on Krejci, a high stick that was missed on Chara. I mean, I know you can go down the list and probably have a lot of complaints about you know, Bruins getting no calls on certain things. And I agree with you. There were bad penalties on both sides. What I really want is I really want this to just be uh, a non-controversial game. You know, I want this to have, if there are mistakes, fine, there are mistakes. But don't do the stupid fucking makeup bullshit. Don't do, you know, don't, don't, don't try to even the calls. Don't try to, you know, it led to a really, really bad goal. And two of them, honestly, uh, in Game 5. And we're going to jump into that now uh, in terms of the Game 5 sequence and, and things that I have to say about it. The makeup call for Pasternak was fucking stupid. Um, there were sequences 
leading to both the Blues goals, which should have been called. One was too many men, should have been called. I mean, I think it was like 14 or 19 seconds before the goal. So I understand, you know, you miss things. But when it leads to a goal, it just becomes this magnified uh, event that no fan wants to let you live down and they want to illegitimize the win. And I don't like that because in my opinion, you know, maybe that too many men didn't factor into the goal. Maybe it did. It's 19 seconds later. It's a little too far for me in terms of like, you know, causing an effect unless the other player is out there for 19 seconds. And by the other player, I mean the sixth player. But again, I mean, I just don't want things to look like it was handed to one team or the other. And, you know, I know that officiating is never going to be perfect, but it's got to be better than it's been. Because I'm so sick and tired of complaining about it. I hate being that guy. I hate hearing about it constantly on every podcast and every broadcast, how it's got to be better, how this shouldn't happen. And we're going to talk about another one, which is um, if you're defending it, it's really not good. It's, you know, that trip on Achari by Bozak that immediately... You know, it didn't lead to the goal, but it happened right before the goal was scored. Like, that should have been a blown call. It should have been reversed. There was a blatant penalty. You had your guy, Bozak, even look back at the ref. Like, what was that? Expecting him to be called. And he didn't. And the ref was staring right at the play. So, to double down on things, when people look to the NHL saying, uh, what the fuck? They say, ah, that's not our responsibility. We don't modern or we don't monitor the uh, discretionary calls like that. That's on the refs. So great, great. We have no support from the NHL, who is by far the worst league. I mean, hockey to me is the best sport. The NHL is the worst league. They don't do anything like in terms of NFL, NBA. Like they don't have anything close to them and there's a reason why the viewership is so bad and yeah part of that is because hockey is not a like an americanized sport yet in terms of the publicity and everything is getting better but it's also because they do stupid shit like this to make things worse you know insult to injury a concussion spotter pulls Achari out of the game because he slips back and looks like he might have hit his head and for people saying he embellished uh, with that leg that flew up, maybe he was just trying not to hurt himself. I mean, you, you ever think of that? He does not even see that he's being tripped. I'm sure he knows someone's coming up behind him, but that trip, to say it's an embellishment, I mean, come on, really? Really? He's just going to land on his leg and break it? I mean, that if you're not familiar with how Brandon Carlo broke his leg, it was similar to that, but along the boards. He falls back and trips and falls on his own leg and breaks his leg in game 82 last year. And again, for this game, I mean, the Blues played well. I thought that both teams played well. I thought the Blues really held the majority of the play. And I thought a part of that was because of, again, the Blues system. You gotta credit it. Bennington was good when he needed to be. I still thought he looked shaky in this game, but the Blue or the Bruins didn't pressure him. It was a lot of one shot and out of the zone type things. There was no rebounds uh, that were I mean, the Bruins were just, to me, they were discoordinated or uncoordinated. They're, they went with 11 forward, 70. It throws everyone out of whack because you have to change the lines constantly. Krejci had like seven wingers in that game uh, on just, you know, a rotary spin. The deep pairings were, of course, different. 
Um, but what I'm trying to say is no one knew where to be, it seemed like. You know, you'd have one wheeler coming down the, you know, the right side, shoot the puck, rebound, and there's no one there on the left. There's no one there in the center. No one knew where the fuck they were supposed to be. Uh, and again, you got to credit the Blues too. Their system is chaos. They want to cause chaos for you as much as possible. Oh, and just really quickly, a shout out to Brandon Carlo for scoring his first goal in game four. Um, you know, it's it's really cool to see someone like Carlo finally get, you know, his due. Because I swear to God, between him and Danton Heinen, they are the unluckiest players in terms of um, goal scoring. And uh, back to the forecheck with the Blues. The five on five continues to be a problem through game four, through game five. Um... The Blues just tend to control play at 5-on-5. Five five. And, you know, I'm going to give full credit to the Blues here. Again, their system is very hard to play against. But that that second line on the Bruins with David Backus, I mean, something had to change. It, it luckily did. Um, but they were just so bad. I mean, the Krejci's not a fast player. David Backus is debatably slower. And Jake DeBrusque is the only speed on that team. Now, he's being basically thrown the puck, and he has to now defend off three or four Blues players because Krejci and Bacchus aren't fast enough to catch up in the zone. There's no winger to pass it to. So best-case scenario, he either tries to zip past a couple defenders and shoot on, on the net or rim it around the edge and hope that a Bruins player gets it, which is kind of what the Blues system relies on, a dump. And then they have their board play, which is extremely... Uh, heavy and it wears down the opponents very very effectively but man game five was that was like full-on display of officiating driving the game and the Bruins needed to play better there's no doubt about it you can't score one goal and expect to win the game and I put that on them that is the real reason the Bruins lost that game they could have overcome the two penalties that led to goals um, you know, the Sunquist hold on Krug, I mean, like, chicken wing and Krug. There was, again, like, there are just certain calls after Brube made that complaint where it's like, okay, I get it. Let's say, you know, let, let's take uh, both sides of the fence here. Maybe you are calling too much in favor of the Bruins. Okay, let's dial it back a little bit. Maybe uh, don't have, you know, certain rules apply as much maybe have to maybe up like the ante on on how hard or how much it has to be but in something like the in the Krug uh being held by Sunquist thing I mean the, he's holding him there for several seconds and there's four officials on the ice I mean even if just the two refs have to call that like how do you not call that how I mean that's that's giving the Blues such a good chance to score Illegally, I mean, if you get away with it, I suppose it's not illegal, but it's still illegal. It's like, that is textbook holding. So again, I'm not putting, you know, the Blues are going to try to get away with anything they can, just like the Bruins are. It's not a fault of the Blues. It's a fault of the officiating. And the reason they lost the game is not because of the officiating. But you know what? It would be going 1-1 to overtime. And the Blues may still probably win based on how they played the rest of the game. But at the same time, I thought the Bruins played well in Game 5 overall. They just couldn't connect. They had a lot of... Um, again, the top six wasn't going. But neither of the top sixes for either team are really going. It, it should have been a 1-1 game going to overtime. I would have been okay with that. If the Bruins lost, it would have sucked. But at least it would have been fair. 
And here I am whining about the game, even though I just said it wasn't the officiating's fault. Um, but, you know, it does play a factor into it. And again, I'm going to stick to it. The Bruins should have played better. They should have had more going. They have the offense to do so. Um, yeah, just... It was a heartbreaker. It really was. Um, so now we're going to get to game six, which I thought was a very good response for the Bruins. Of course, they needed to have that response or they were going to be gone. So uh, some keynotes to notice going into game six. Ivan Barbashev is suspended for a high hit to Marcus Johansson. And yes, that was a high hit. Sorry, it was not chest. It was straight to the head. Maybe there was some chest contact in there, but there was a lot to the head. And NHL player safety deemed it worthy of a one-game suspension to Ivan Barbashev, making it the second suspension of the Blues for the Stanley Cup Final. Not for the Cup, or not for the playoffs, for the Stanley Cup Final. Backus comes out of the lineup for the Bruins off that second line. Kuhlman comes in. I know there are a lot of people that are down on Kuhlman, saying he doesn't have the experience. There's a lot of people that were too high on Kuhlman, too, saying, oh, he's competed in college hockey at national championships, so he has what it takes to be in tough games. Eh, doesn't really make sense. This is the NHL. Not AHL, not college. This is the NHL. This is the big dog. So, theoretically, yeah, it's a really weird theory to spin on. Kind of just seems like stuff to talk about when you don't have anything to talk about. Um, but I like Kuhlman because he's extremely fast. He's not afraid to get into the dirty areas, which is kind of a cliche term. Um, he's had a hard time finishing, but he does have finish capability. I think maybe a little bit of um, stick gripping too hard. He's a little too nervous. But he creates a lot of offensive uh, zone time and presence and scoring chances based on his speed. And he does have pretty good hands too. So he can pass the puck. He can shoot it as we saw in this game. And man, you saw a totally different Krejci line when he was inserted. I mean, they were buzzing. You now have two speedy wingers, and you have a mastermind with the you know the puppet strings like Krejci, who's able to pretty much pass wherever the fuck he wants. It doesn't seem like, you know, physics or gravity matters when he wants to pass it to someone. He's gonna get it there, and uh, it really paid dividends to have him in. I'm glad to see that he's gonna be in for Game Seven too. Uh, I love David Backus, uh, you know, as. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess an influencing factor, but as a hockey player, he just really doesn't have it anymore. And it's sad to see he's 35. He's still on the Bruins team for, I think, another year and a half or year after this one. But he's just not there anymore. I mean, there's he is a ghost of himself, and this game has gotten way too fast and way too skilled for him. Okay, so let's get on to um, a little more of game six. There was an early five-on-three in the first period, uh, Ryan O'Reilly throws the puck over the glass after they're already down a man and goes in the five on three. Uh, took some really, really hard blame for that, I understand. And it uh, kind of seems like the guy that O'Reilly is to do that. Marchand finally scores a goal. Uh, it was a beautiful goal. I don't know, this is, oh, sorry. I think I just knocked you guys. Uh, this has been talked about ad nauseum, so I won't go too much into it. But uh, he does kind of what, like, an opposite. It's like an opposite end uh, Ovechkin slap shot, but with a wrist shot. He kind of drops down to one knee to get more power on it. Perfectly into the net past Bennington. Um, and they have a 5-on-3 goal. Still thought there was a little too much passing on the 5-on-3 and on the 5-on-4, which they did not score in um, after they scored that 5-on-3 goal. But you know what? It's a power play goal. Power play is at least back up and running a little bit. They only got two power plays, so we didn't get to see it that much, which is a good thing for the Blues. Uh, but again, they scored a power play goal after a pretty dry 
um, run of, I think it was zero for four or zero for five in game five and four. Now, I will say um, in the first period, the St. Louis forecheck was still a problem. It's going to be a problem in game seven, too. I mean, if, if both teams play to their strength, the forecheck is really what St. Louis wants to get the Bruins wrapped up in. That's how they generate their bread and butter. It's how they clog things up for the other team's offense. Uh, and quite frankly, it's how they piss off the other team to hopefully draw penalties. And I know we were just talking about um, penalties and bad refing. Um, man, Perron, I know we have Marchand. I know the Bruins have Marchand. Perron has been the Marchand of this series. By far, he has been, in my opinion, the dirtiest player. Um, he's been the rat of the series over Marchand. And I know this is uh, going to be a lot of whataboutisms from Blues fans. But, I mean, seriously. Marchand's had a couple. Perron's probably had a dozen. It's it's fucking crazy how much this guy likes to piss people off. And, you know, I, I love it from Marsham when he's not hurting people, when he's just kind of stirring the pot. And I love it from Perron, too, when he's not trying to you know run the goalie or, or hurt people. Uh, it makes the game more interesting. And I'm going to hate Perron for probably years to come, just like people are going to hate Marsham for years to come. But I will always say, if the antics don't hurt anyone, I'm all for it. Uh, there was also a bad hit by Clifton on Blay. I just wanted to point that out again. I don't want to seem overly biased, even though I do cheer for the Bruins. Um, bad hit by Clifton on Blay. Shouldn't have gone for that. And, uh, you know, Clifton's had some bad judgment calls. He is a pretty new NHL player. Not an excuse. Uh, he's kind of been a little exposed since Matt Grizzlick has not been playing. Uh, I think we really see how valuable... Grizzlick has been um, as a puck-moving defenseman for the Bruins, and kind of in transition, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, but in transition game, uh, Clifton's just not as good, and that's fine. I mean, Cassidy was a little bit harsh when he called him an average hockey player, but that's that's probably about what he is. And, you know, he's got some really good, um, you know, traits. He's really physical with the puck. He's pretty speedy as well. Uh, he's, you know, he could blossom into a fine defender. I don't think he's here next year, but uh, we'll get into that later on, probably in the off season when you know things have calmed down a bit with the hockey talk. So Brandon Carlo uh, scores a, another goal. It's a weird bouncer from the point. Um, I know a lot of people are saying Bennington probably should have had it, and yeah, he probably should have. But that's a weird one. I think that's one that's you know, if it were in any other game, they'd be like, ah, that's all right. It's not you know, no big deal. But in, uh, in a game six where you could possibly eliminate the Bruins, I get it. You got to stop it. At the same time, I really don't fault him for that goal. That was a weird, fluky knuckle puck. Speaking of um, puck luck and bad luck, the shot by Petrangelo that ended up being that weird Rask grabbing behind himself, McAvoy hitting the puck away, um, that's all luck. I mean, that's that's just... You know, I'm not trying to doubt McAvoy's hand-eye, but, you know, you, you run that scenario 10 out of 10 times, McAvoy's maybe getting that out 4 out of 10. So, a lot of luck went into that. That could have tied the game. Who knows? It could have changed the entire, you know, uh, momentum and, and outcome of the game. But uh, I don't think Rask... I mean, Rask didn't have that save. He didn't. And that's not a fault of his. It was a weird deflection. Petrangelo thought he scored. I think everyone thought he was about to score, and then suddenly the puck was gone. 
I didn't see McAvoy hit it. I thought Rask, you know, kind of ended up swatting it a little bit out of the way with his backhand. But upon review, of course, we see that McAvoy smacks it out at the last second. So that was pure puck luck. A little bit of skill, but mostly pure puck luck. Okay, we're going to run through some quick stats here, get them out of the way, and then talk about potential con smites and also best players of the series. Um, I'm sorry, of this series for both teams. So the stats first. Rask is a 973 save percentage in elimination games this postseason uh, or in games where the uh, other team can potentially clinch. I'm sorry, where, where the Bruins can potentially clinch. So games 6 and 7 of Toronto, uh, game 6 of Columbus, game 4 of the Carolina series, and then game 6 of St. Louis. So that's five games where he has a 973 save percentage, and I believe it's like a .8 uh, goals against. So not even a full goal against uh, per game. It's absolutely ridiculous. I'm sure it's also a good amount of defense, but there were a couple of those games I specifically remember where Rask was just a brick wall. I believe he now holds the record as well, passing Jonathan Quick for most postseason games played consecutively with a 900-plus save percentage, which is a crazy record because I think it was at 19 or 18 games. And then I also saw this one, but I, I could have sworn it was like Chris Chelios or something that was the oldest defenseman to score in the final. But um, Sportsnet, I believe, tweeted out that Chara was the oldest defenseman to score in a cup final game. Again, I, I, I thought it was Chris Chelios or, you know, one of those other Hall of Famers that, you know, ended their career before Chara. But maybe, maybe it was for the Bruins. Maybe he is the oldest. Either way, he's either the oldest defenseman for the Bruins or for the NHL to score a goal in the cup final. Even though it was an empty netter, I mean, dude's got a broken jaw. Give him, give him a little bit of slack. Oh yeah, by the way, uh, Chara has a broken jaw. He, he came back after he broke it uh, in game four, didn't play. Played in game five, was okay. I mean, a little shaky. I can't, again, how do you fault a dude for playing with a broken jaw? He's probably still a better option than anyone that they would have put in in his place because it would have been Stephen Kampfer or John Moore or possibly even Erho Vakanainen who's played I think like nine NHL games um, so he played okay in game five played a lot better in my opinion in game six and we'll see if Matt Grizzlick is coming back for game seven we're going to preview that in a couple of minutes we just have a couple more things to go over uh, stats wise and in game five so um this is mainly Bruins because I've been tr- I've been struggling to find something that gives out stats like this for the Blues. Um, uh, you know, if you have any accounts you recommend, please let me know. I'm I'm struggling to find them, and I'm having to you know find the stats on my own or, or you know compute the numbers, and it's just not as fast. Uh, so the Bruins are 25 and one when Marchand scores in a playoff game. That's all time. They're eight and zero in this season or in this postseason when he scores. You know, again, that might just be a fluke, but to me that means that when he scores, that top line is probably going. And when that top line is going, good fucking luck. And then uh, away from the stats, but, you know, still on the Bruins, the top six came alive a little bit in this game. You saw with Kuhlman inserted, you had a bit more going on with the second line. He scores. Krejci looks like he's, you know, back to himself. DeBrusque looks like an absolute fucking terror. I think he led the game on both sides with the most scoring chances. It was either him or uh, maybe O'Reilly. I don't remember. Um, but the top six comes alive five on five, and that's got to be a little worrisome for the Blues because the top six really hasn't been active through the first five games. 
Um, there's been a little bit, and the Blues have done a good job shutting them down, but at the same time, even with the Blues shutting them down a bit, there should be more production 5-on-5 five five from this top six of the Bruins. Uh, Pasternak scores off a beautiful backhand where he dekes out Bennington. Marshan again scores on the 5-on-3. Not a 5-on-5 five five goal, uh, but the Pasternak one was, so... Bruins got to hope that they can keep that mojo going and get that top six still performing and producing while the bottom two lines are also doing it, which has kind of been keeping them through and keeping them alive in these playoffs as well as the defensemen. And if you're the Blues, you got to really hope that that top six doesn't come alive because you've had enough problems with the bottom six and the defensemen already. I know the power play for the Blues has been a big concern. they got to hope they can get something else going with that because it's been pretty bad up to this point. And the Bruins have a very good penalty kill. They have a numerous amount of people they can just put out there. And, of course, they have Rask. And I know uh, people have been giving Bennington a pass and saying he probably deserves a heart. And this is, or not the heart, the uh, Conn Smythe. This is where we're going to get into the Conn Smythe talk a little bit. You know, I'm really weary to give him it after these last two series. He had a couple good games with San Jose. He's had, um, in my opinion, probably one actually good game where he stole game five in this series but otherwise he's I mean he's been average to sub-average uh, and that's that's really all the Blues need because they have a very good defense if he's just average I mean that might be good enough but he hasn't been spectacular I know that he's Canadian and people just want to hand him the con Smythe of the Blues win but I really don't think it should go to him um, I was looking at numbers I was looking at players and I know O'Reilly hasn't produced a ton since you know uh, or, you know, until this cup final where he's been on an absolute fucking tear and it's a little bit of recency bias, but I think him or Pareko should get it. I think Pareko has been a very underrated player on these Blues teams because, or on this Blues team because of players like Tarasenko who had a bit of a tear um, after he went a little quiet during the Dallas series. And then Bennington, who's been a story all season long, but really hasn't been that good if you look at his numbers through... Um, a lot of the playoffs after like the first round and then the second round and even in you know in the games where he lost in the second round it wasn't that great he's been good at rebounding but I mean if you're only good half the time and you're kind of sub average to average the rest of the time uh, I don't know I mean I'm really weary about giving him the con Smythe and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that but that's fine I'd rather give it to Pareko who's been a stud pretty much night in, night out. Or, I guess, O'Reilly, but I'd probably lean toward more of Pareko. On the Bruins side, it's got to be Rask. I mean, there's there's no one else you could give it to. I, I seriously, like, it's Rask, and then everyone else is kind of in a mishmash. You know, I, I know people are saying Brad Marchand. No, I'm sorry. No. He hasn't been consistent. He's been really fucking bad defensively in certain games. He's been a top scorer of the Bruins. But again, I mean... No, I don't think he has one five-on-five point still through this series. He might have one assist. Um, if I were to give it to anyone, it would probably be Krug. If if Rask somehow didn't get it. Um, other than that, man, I mean, take your pick of like Charlie Coyle, Charlie McAvoy, or, uh, fuck, I don't even know, uh, Sean Corrali. <laughs> I have no idea who else would get it besides Rask. But I think if, if the Bruins win, it's, it's Rask and a walk. Oh yeah, and with, uh, this is one last thing I forgot to mention on the stats, with Kuhlman scoring for the Bruins, they tie the record for the most players to score in a postseason 
um, with 21 players, and they tie the 87 Philadelphia Flyers. So if John Moore or Tuka Rask score, they will pass um, the Philly Flyers for most players to score in a postseason. I'm not really expecting either of those players to score in uh, in Game 7 because I think if Grizzly comes back in, John Moore's out. If um, if that happens, I highly doubt Rask is going to score unless it's you know some crazy empty netter, in which case um, I really hope Rask does not have the puck and doesn't try to do that because that means that the Blues are probably flooding the zone with an empty net. Okay, so Game 7 preview is going to be a little short. Uh, Backus is out again. Kuhlman is in. It's been confirmed. Barbashev will likely be back in. I'm not really sure who comes out for the Blues. It might be Steen. Uh, maybe it's Fabry. I, I'm not sure. Um, actually, I think Fabry's already out because I'm pretty sure Robert Thomas is in. So I'm not really sure who's coming back in. It, it'll. I'm positive that Barbashev will be back in the lineup. He is their energy guy. He's the big hitter on their team. Uh, I think him and Achari lead the series in hits. So I'll be curious to see who comes out. Uh, there were some questions around Bozak, um, Tarasenko, and I don't remember who else missing practice today. Uh, we we're told that they were fine, which means that they probably aren't fine, but they'll be fine for the game. Uh, and it's game seven. I mean, this is what every hockey fan you know, loves to see in a cup final. It's been a really long time since we've seen one. I think uh, seven or eight years now since we've seen a cup final go to seven. It might have been uh, the last Boston one. Who knows? I, I don't remember if it was the Kings the next year, but I'm pretty sure it was 2011 or 2012 is the last time we saw a Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Final. And this is going to be... Um, man, I mean, this is a toss-up. I, I really have... No, it really depends what team shows up. If the top six for the Bruins show up and their power play is clicking, then yeah, I, I mean, I would say Bruins... But if that power play is dry and their top six is dry and the St. Louis Blues are able to, you know, impose that four check on them, it could go St. Louis too. St. Louis has been grinding out the wins when the Bruins have been able to operate the way that they are best at operating. They have been blowout games. I mean, 5-1, 7-2. again, I mean, St. Louis is going to try as hard as ever with that four check to keep them off and to keep them off their game. So it's really going to be a battle of the wills. We're going to see everything's off the board. You know, all the previous games don't matter. This is the only game that matters, and it's the last game, of course. So we're going to see how that works out. Uh, I'm really curious to see if Grizzlick's going to be able to go back in. If he can, I think that is a big, big advantage to the Bruins. He is one of the best uh, puck-moving defensemen. I think it's him. Uh, I think it's Krug and then him as the best puck-moving defenseman. He has the best transition numbers. He has the most effective transition out of all the Bruins defensemen out of his own zone. And also, uh, we're going to see a battle of the goalies. We're going to see if Bennington uh, is able to rebound, which I think, you know, time has shown he's going to rebound from his, his bad game, even though people think, don't think it's that bad. I don't think he had a good game six, no matter which way you look at it. Yeah, a couple of those goals were ugly, but they were still on him. Um, you know, the second goal by Carlo, I know I was just saying, it, you know, it's hard to put that on him, but at the same time, when it's just you and him, and, and that's the puck that's bouncing, you gotta stop it. So it's gonna be interesting. There's so many factors that come into play. There's nerves, there's systems, there's home ice, there's the ice itself. Uh, which Doug Armstrong, you know, 
was mad about it possibly not being ready in time for the uh, <laughs> the Blues practice skate. And uh, one of the bowl gang members for the uh, for the garden, which if you don't know the bowl guard or the bowl gang is like the people that set up all the um, basically like the arena for the game. So they're the ones that switch it from ice to uh, the basketball court. They switch it from the basketball court to the ice. Anyway, so the GM for the Blues, Doug Armstrong, was walking by and snipped at them and said, you know, you better have this ready for my players or whatever the fuck he said. And uh, one of the Bull Gang members apparently responded back, quote, who pissed in your Cheerios this morning, end quote, for which Doug eventually circled back and apologized for being rude. Um, thought that was kind of funny. But this is going to be um, probably the most nerve-wracking game I've ever watched. Game 6 in Boston in 2013 was pretty nerve-wracking, but it, it honestly like it felt like the Bruins had that game until the 17 seconds. Um, so this game, I mean, I really... Of course, I want the Bruins to win, but this, is, uh, this has been a weird series, man. I, I honestly have no idea what tomorrow's going to be like, and uh, it's going to be a good one. So I think that's it. I think we actually uh, we did a pretty good job of not making this thing run out too long. You know, both these teams have been so good at overcoming adversity. It's literally going to be a battle of wills. So uh, thank you for listening. We're going to do a game seven recap once it's over. Um, depending on the outcome, it may take me a few days to get to it as I may be wallowing in my own sorrows um, or celebrating. So if you like this podcast, please subscribe to it. We are on Spotify, SoundCloud, um, the former iTunes, which is now, I believe, Apple Music. We're on pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast or any music. Uh, Subscribe, leave a review. It really helps boost the show in terms of uh, placement. If you happen to think it's a bad, you know, show, I, of course, don't want bad reviews, but I respect honesty. You can also follow me for my live updates on Twitter at TylerXGerholt. And uh, let's see, what's today? Today's Tuesday, so hopefully I have another podcast out this week. Uh, it may take me, again, a few days, possibly a week to get over it, and then we'll get over all the, or we'll start getting into all the trades that have happened during this time, and the draft coming up, and all the fun stuff. Uh, thank you guys very much, and we'll speak later.